Today's episode is sponsored by Dutch Resistance. Orange shall overcome a 60 to 90 minute cooperative scenario based pickup and deliver game for one to five players about resistance during the Second World War in the Netherlands. The game's art will immerse you in 1940s Netherlands as you take on the role of characters that are all based on real resistance members. And each character has an asymmetrical power to help you complete the non-violent objectives. But be careful, occupation forces might be just around the next corner. So what will you do to resist the occupation? Will you make safe choices or risk getting arrested? So check out Dutch Resistance Orange Shall Overcome on Kickstarter right now. And if you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about Photoshop. We've got a BGDL community spotlight episode, and we're talking about the top 10 Photoshop, Photoshop tips and tricks to help make your game designing easier. And we're talking to Nicholas Fournier from Orion Games. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Hey, man, really glad to have you here. Excited to learn some of these Photoshop tips and tricks because that's one thing i've learned is if there's anything i can figure out or learn or understand better to make the process quicker more efficient easier to get the game into prototype and, and get it to the table and play test it then that's what i want to do that's going to speed up the process it gets the game to come to life faster so i'm excited to learn these things uh, from you today but before we get into that who are you how'd you get into game design all that kind of thing yeah so i'm nicholas uh i've been doing game design pretty much all my life um so i started as a graphic designer at my job and then got hired uh in the game studio and i eventually became game designer with them so i do video game design but also board game design and we're currently launching our uh, in two weeks our first kickstarter so eventually i'll i'll be able to say hey i made a board game <laughs> that's where i'm at right now yeah very cool and orion games is that video games and board games or is that your own thing that's just board games tell me about that yeah so orion is basically the banner under which we uh, we all publish megapulse so it's just board games right now yeah very cool all right let's just hop right into this top 10 and uh let's, let's start us off number 10 what is it all right so number 10 is organize your stuff Name your layers, group your layers, and color code them. Make them blue, make them red, whatever works for you. So that's one small, small tip that we can easily forget if you don't have someone to tell you <laughs> that to group your stuff. Because um, as you move forward to new versions of your game, you'll have to make changes in your uh, PSD files for your cards, for your boards. And if you don't name your stuff, if you don't group your stuff, uh, you'll definitely get lost and you'll lose a lot of time. So 
uh, make sure to organize your stuff. That's just the least important. So that's number 10, but it's still very important. So number 10. Yeah. And that's something a lot of people don't think about until they get a little further down the road. Mm -hmm. Because when you're just working on (laughs) one game, it's not that hard to find stuff. It's not hard to find folders, you know, figure things out. But once you've designed like 10, it's like, oh, shoot, where where is that thing that I I used to work on? You know, like when you're going back to stuff, it's so important. And that's one thing I've learned now that I've designed like 100 plus games, you know, and most of them will never see the light of day. But now when I need to go find maybe an icon that I created for one game I want to use for a new game, like it is so important to have named it properly and mm-hmm. to, to know where it is and if it's in a certain, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's a huge tip, not just inside Photoshop, but just in general, just yeah, keep yeah. as organized as possible, right? Exactly. In Photoshop, outside Photoshop, you have to stay organized if you want to get, find your stuff. Yeah, it just um, makes things so much more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number nine is uh, a simple trick, uh, just a shortcut, you know, because there's so many shortcuts on Photoshop. And at some point, you'll you'll learn them all, but it takes a while. If you're starting with Photoshop uh, and you're doing some cards, uh, a bunch of people in their game have a card with a paragraph of text at the bottom. And that paragraph has all the effects of the cards. But there's so many space you have to put that text. And sometimes your text just overflows a bit and you can't see everything. Now, you could make the text just smaller, but at some point, too much too, too much of a small text will be hard to read. So there's a neat shortcut uh, on Photoshop. You can press the Alt key and then the arrows, uh, left or right or top and bottom, to actually adjust the kerning of the text, which is the space between the letters or the space between the lines of the paragraph. Adjusting that will help you fit more text into the same space without making this text smaller. So if you're just trying to make your prototypes fast and you don't want the text to be too small, uh, that's just a simple shortcut. Alt and the arrow keys to make your text fit. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, do you have any other recommendations on maybe some hotkeys or do you have any hotkeys or anything you've set up to help your own process? Um, yeah, so the basically the, the hotkeys, uh, you you learn them as you go. So like all the control, control W, control E, control T, they all have something. The one I use the most is just control T to start transforming an object. Uh, but the the actual uh, shortcuts I use are, are made by myself. Uh, and these are actions. So this is our number two. So I can talk about it right now because it's very important. Well, let's the, just let's just wait. Let's, let's not get out we'll of order. Yeah, that's, okay. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> let's, let's wait. We'll, yeah, we'll jump into uh, number eight. Keep going. <laughs> okay. So number eight is uh, use a shape as the base of your component. So uh, uh, Photoshop is mainly raster-based uh, graphics. So you have pixels, right? And you can use a brush tool. You can draw a rectangle if you want to. But there's the shape tool and the pen tool that, that allow you to make uh, vector graphics. And uh, using vector graphics, so the, the pen or the shapes, to uh, do the outline of your, let's say, your card, your uh, player board, or your tokens, will help you at the end of the process. Because if you're moving to the manufacturing side of things, if you're moving into the game crafter side of things, you will need um, to have some uh, vector line to do the cut, the, the, the punch board, you know, the cut line of the piece. So having it as a, as a shape is very convenient because you can edit easily. It, it, it won't lose in quality, but you can also then just use that shape as the cut line at the end to cut your pieces. Gotcha. Now, am I remembering correctly that when you have a vector, it scales up and down really easily? Is that also part of that being, you know, the good thing about a vector? 
Mm -hmm, exactly. So as an illustrator, uh, you also have that vector uh, function in Photoshop. So vector is basically a mathematical point. So it has a coordinate and it, it links two points with a curve or with a line. So it's not actual pixels that you can erase with your eraser or draw over. It's it's just a shape, right, or a line. And that can be scaled indifferently. So if you have a small icon in vector or or a big image in vector, you can scale it down, scale it up, doesn't matter. It stays the same. Very cool. All right, number seven. Number seven is use smart objects. That's a big one. So um, what what will probably happen is you will have some icons on your cards, on your text. You will have some images as well. And over time, you might want to update those icons. So one way to do it is to simply <laughs> drag and drop the new icon at every space you had that icon in the first place and just change, change it manually. Another way is to link your icon. So when you place the icon in Photoshop, when you go to File, instead of placing embedded the icon, you can place it linked, which means that whenever you change the source file on your desktop, it will update in Photoshop. Uh, but that's annoying when you want to share the file with someone else. Uh, you have People have the, need the link right, of the original files to make it work. Smart objects are a great way to work around that because basically what you do is you take all a bunch of a bunch of layers or just one layer in Photoshop, right click and create smart object. That means that now it's a one, it's one layer and it's a smart object that if you double click it, you can edit it, its content. And what's cool is if you duplic duplicate the smart object, uh, they all have the same source. So let's say I have a bunch of cards. There's 30 different, uh, 30 times the same icon of my movement icon. If I double click on the smart object, do some changes on that icon and save and go back, all my movement icons are updated at the same time. That can also be useful if you want to, if you scale down and up a lot because uh, the smart objects basically uh, are a separate file. So if you scale down and scale up the smart object, uh, it, it doesn't destroy the component. It, it still reads from the same uh, original file. So uh, basically, smart objects are a very, very useful way to, um, to update things at the same time, to keep things uh, organized as well, because it, it takes less layer. They're just wonderful. They have so many uses. Yeah, that's super smart. And I can see that saving a tremendous amount of time. If you have an icon, if you've got 100 cards in a deck and then you need to go back and update an icon, it's like, oh, shoot, I got to do that 100 times versus one time. And, and then that just scales up at such an exponential rate when you do that multiple times, you know, making a prototype. So that's a that's a huge one right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, using smart object is kind of the foundation of uh, all the other tips after that, because it, 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 when you start to use smart objects, it's very useful for the long run, which brings me to my number six, which is work non-destructively. So, um, you know, in game design, we are going to do a bunch of iteration, and sometime we want to go back. <laughs> sometime we'll say, okay, the old text, I need, I needed the old icon or something like that. And if you work destructively, uh, which means um, deleting stuff, so you delete the old layers, uh, you erase stuff with the eraser tool, uh, you, you change something directly, that means instead of, unless you want to do some control Z stuff, if you close down the document and open it again, you won't be able to have that stuff back. So 
instead of deleting your layers, turn them off, turn them invisible with the eye icon. Uh, if you want to um, erase something, create a mask and erase in that mask. Because uh, a bunch of times you will have to work twice if you want to take back something. Uh, and that will cost you a bunch of time and a bunch of frustrations. So work non-destructively, keep your work safe somewhere, do backups of your files, make sure you don't lose anything. Yeah, for sure. And I think that goes no matter what you're working on, Photoshop or otherwise. I've seen several people post in the Board Game Design Lab uh, Facebook community and talk about how frustrating it was because they just lost you know so many hours of work because their power went out or something happened and they didn't have a good backup <laughs> or a good save file. Or in my case, like I do a lot of note cards. I, I write stuff down. And if I forget to transfer it into a digital place, then there's been several note cards that have been lost in the washing machine or something like that. And it's like, oh, shoot, what did I write down? What was that idea? <laughs> so, yeah, backing things up. Huge, huge one right there, no matter what. Mm -hmm. All right, let's, exactly. uh, let's go to number five. All right. So, number five, we have uh, save as PSD first, not PNG. So, when you do a template in Photoshop and you have your card template, and you do your card and you're ready to export as a PNG to maybe try it out on Tabletop Simulator or to print it. Um, before saving as a PNG, make sure you save it as a PSD. Uh, because what will probably happen is that after saving it as a PNG, you'll just change the content to create the next card. And now you lost the previous content. So you could just duplicate the layers, have one group or one smart object for every card, but that makes a very heavy document. So you have probably uh, one or two gigabyte document there. Uh, so what you can do is just save as PSD, then save as PNG. This way, if you just need to do one slight modification, if there's just one card that needs some tweaking and you just need to upgrade some value, instead of having to go into your template and recreate the whole card, just go into that PSD of that card and do the changes and save as PNG. So, the, you know, you're going to end up with the 60 PNGs in the, in the end, having those PSDs on the separate file, a separate folder, is not that much of an annoyance when you need them they're there yeah absolutely and that gets back to staying organized like we talked about before mm -hmm. all right number four well, speaking of four number four well, number four let it breathe so that's a graphic design tip it's not about uh the usability of photoshop uh but it's about uh when you're doing some graphics for a prototype uh padding is important for uh reading and so many times I've played a prototype of another designer and the game is fun, but my experience is kind of hindered because it's very hard to read, very hard to understand. There's Everything seems crammed. And this means that I take much more time and effort trying to figure out what I'm seeing and less time and effort trying to enjoy the game and the mechanics. So do do a do me a favor uh reduce a bit the size of your paragraph uh reduce a bit the size of your icons at a point where there's a a small margin in between the lines the, the you know the, your 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 graphics and the actual content of the the card uh that just makes it easier for everyone yeah that makes sense do you have any recommendations as far as font sizes or icon sizes that are really good best practices so um so icon sizes it uh, really depends on the uh, what what icons we're talking about so uh, no size will save uh, an unscalable icon so if your icon is simple 
black or white and pretty easy to read, then technically, no matter the size of the icon, you should be able to read it well. Um, but for the text, that's a different story. Each font has a different uh, uh, standard size. So if you go to uh, at a, like um, t 12 points, for example, at different fonts, it will be different size. Uh, I, I like to keep it between 12 and 14 for the font size. Uh, anything below 11 or 10 is usually too, too small to read. Right. And I think it really just comes down to being intentional with the usability and, and mm. not just staring at the card on your computer screen where maybe it's like three or four times the size it's going to be in real life, <laughs> but also printing it out, right? And looking at the card as the size yeah. is going to be, getting other people to look at it. Maybe people who have, uh, you know, vision issues, maybe they're nearsighted or farsighted and just, and just talking to different people Definitely. and saying, hey, can you read these things? <laughs> One thing I ran into with a, a game I'm working on right now is it's got some tactical combat. And so like some characters have range and they can hit, you know, things three, four spaces away. And so the icon was like a little target and then it had the number written inside the, the target. And what I mm -hmm. noticed was like, I think this is a little bit small and I printed it out and it's like, yeah, it's kind of hard to see the number sometimes, especially if you don't have really great vision or maybe it's low light situation, you know, whatever. Whatever. And so what we did for that is we took the number out. So you just had the normal target icon and then we put dots next to it. And so if you had a range of three, then it just had three black dots right to the right of it. And so as soon as you look at it, you go, oh, there's three dots, it's three range. And that just made it a lot simpler and, and less uh, less difficult to see. And so I think just printing mm -hmm. stuff out, looking at it, maybe coming up with some more creative ways to come up with things to make it clearer or maybe make it bigger or smaller or whatever. Uh, do you have anything as kind of like piggyback on that? Maybe some anecdotes or things you found that work well in this situation? Yeah, yeah. So like uh, um, talking about the the, the, the font size, uh, you were talking about printing stuff out and that, that's exactly what I do. So I take uh, a Word document and I use the font I'm planning to use and I, I do a lorem ipsum, like a, a big paragraph of nonsense words. And I do it in every single size between six and, and 20. Uh, of the font size and then I print it out and I try to read it at the comfortable distance and I made it I make it read to my girlfriend to my friends and I make sure to check out which size is more comfortable for them uh, too big sometimes is, is annoying to read a long paragraph too small will get hard on the eyes so with that I can kind of get a first feel of um, what's what size is best and that anecdote you you had about um, the number inside the target icon is exactly what we had at the beginning of Megapulls. And instead, because we wanted to to show how many targets you can you could target. So a card that shoots two people, we had the target and then the number two inside. In the end, we just made it uh, the number of target icons is the number number of targets you can choose. So instead of having a two a small two inside that target icon we just have two target icons so it, it works uh it works better because the small text was really painful and yeah. you should avoid it yeah yeah absolutely as long as you don't have a card that can shoot nine targets and you have to have nine of those icons you know like there's things yeah, to think yeah. about for sure <laughs> you um, have to uh that, that's one thing uh, about like the the iconography side of things is you have to create a, a system that works for your game and you have to know how what's the limit of that system so for us, we knew that their ID target was ranging between one and three, no more, no less. So it worked for us. Um, if you know well your game, if you know the, for example, one, one good tip, for example, is when you create the template in Photoshop for a card, you have probably the title of the card at the top. When you create a template, make sure to use the longest title of all of your cards. Uh, 
So for us, for example, in Megapulse, it's Gamma Burst. Gamma Burst is a huge title, and we have Omni Wheels, I think, which is also very large. And we use that because if that if that uh, um, title fits, then everything else will fit. It, the the worst part is if you don't test it out with the, the highest text and then you get to it and you have to reduce and cramming everything up in a small space and then it just doesn't work yeah that makes a lot of sense now was that a bonus tip <laughs> yeah bonus tip <laughs> okay cool so now we're at 10 plus one all right so 11 photoshop tips but uh, let's move <laughs> move back to the list let's go to number three number three so uh number three is just something that i found really really useful uh for me personally because in most prototypes you have a bunch of icons and most of the time you're going to take some icons off Google images because you don't want to waste time doing some icons that you think will be scrapped later. So you go to Google images, you find a nice icon, you think it fits perfectly what you want. And then that icon is like 50 by 50 pixels. Um, <laughs> so there's a way, a very clean way to have those icons being uh, turned into high res. So I'll share the, the tip with you. Um, there's a, a few steps. First of all, uh, make sure the icon is in black and white. Uh, so, you know, most of them are already. So black icon on a white background, that, that works. Um, and then what you want to do is scale it up, have a bigger image. So basically maybe go up to a thousand by a thousand or 500 by 500 pixels, depending on what you want. I usually go overkill. I go like eight, 8,000 by 8,000. That's just me because, I, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, what you do now is the, the icon is going to be blurry as hell uh, because it's, it was just such a small picture. What you do now is you actually make it more blurry. <laughs> so you go into the filters, blur and Gaussian blur, and you blur it to a point where you can see the general shape of the icon, uh, but not to a point where you cannot see the icon anymore. But you want to make sure that everything is nice and blurry. And from then, from there, you can uh, hit Control L. So Control L is going to be your levels. You can also go to Image uh, Adjustments and then Levels. Um, and what you'll see is a slider. That slider shows you uh, how much black, how much white is in the image with a nice graph. And there's this, these little arrows where you can say what you want to be pure black, what you want to be pure white. And if you move those two arrows to the middle of the graph, okay, so Control L, then the two arrows you see, you move them closer to the middle. And as you move them towards each other, the icon will become clear, matte, and fully high res. That's because the blur is actually a gradient of gray. So you have pale gray, dark gray, in between a bunch of grays. And what you're telling the computer is to kind of um, average these out into black and, uh, black and, uh, and white. Um, and when you do that to a blurry icon, then all the pixels, all the art JPEG artifacts, all of that disappears. You only have that clear black and white icon. So try it out, you'll see. It's very simple once you know once you know how to do it, and it, it will save you <laughs> a bunch of research for icons because you can just grab any icon at that point and you know that trick. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, are there any copyright issues I need to worry about doing that? <laughs> am, am I changing it just enough? Tell me about that side. So, uh, it, yeah, if if you want to go into some uh, 
public playtesting or uh, if you want to show in public or you know go into some kind of publishing phase obviously you have to make your own icons so this this tip works if you're just you know playtesting with yourself with your friends families and just you need something on the table to, to see if it works okay. uh, obviously more prototypes. <laughs> yeah obviously don't use that for your um published products uh but the tip works nonetheless if you haven't if you can't find because you haven't followed my first tip which is get organized if you haven't done that and lost an icon and you just have a small version of a screenshot somewhere that that tip still applies <laughs> yeah it makes sense and quick disclaimer neither one of us are lawyers don't take our law legal advice um, all right <laughs> so moving moving back into number two let's hop back yeah Number two, so we were talking earlier about the shortcuts, right? Um, and number two is use Photoshop Actions. So if you go at the top in the window uh, and you, you have that action window you can open, and that will allow, allow you to click record. And once you hit record, everything you do is recorded into an action. Once you click stop, then all the recorded action are available to use again just by hitting play on that action. So let's say I want to do some changes to an artwork. I think my illustrations of my card are a bit too dark. So I click record, I click lighten up, uh, I hit the, the name, so I can choose a name, lighten up, and then I make the, the artwork brighter, I do save, I do quit, and now I stop my rec recording. Now I can open all of my other artwork and just hit play on that. It will adjust the lightning, it will uh, save, it will close, and I will be able to click play again for the next image. So that's one way to do it. But there, the, these actions have so many uses. Um, some of them uh, can have like <laughs> 200 different steps if you, there is an action that you, you think you're going to do a lot. So for example, for me, um, I, I used to work at a pool company and what we wanted to do is take a texture. We would like to try to see if it, it seems nice on the surface, uh, on the sides of the pool, right? And those actions were automatically converting the colors, uh, doing some uh, adjustment so that it, it goes over the, the sides of the pool without showing the, uh, without going over the, the, the pillars. And it, all of that in like two seconds. It, it's very useful if you're going to do something a lot and often uh, to record those actions. You can also record an action to save as PDF, uh, to crop an image. So for example, uh, if you're um, a component to your cards or whatever have bleed, because you're going to have bleed for the manufacturer, but you want to remove that bleed, you can just create an action to remove the bleed and do all of them at the same time. Very cool. And again, that's something that will hopefully save people a tremendous amount of time in the aggregate, right? I think that's one of the things that just keeps coming up is like you can spend a little bit of extra time on the front end to then save you a ton of time on the back end, especially mm -hmm. the more often you, you do this, more often you use these these tips and tricks. It's like it's going to pile up the extra time. Yeah. And it's going to give you more time to prototype, to play test, to actually think and design your game versus going in and having to change out different icons change out different things it's like no it just makes it so much faster mm -hmm. which is really it's super helpful all right let's move into uh number one and, and just before number one uh we're talking about like what can how that can be useful for actual prototyping and one thing i the first time i used the icons uh, the action sorry was when i was ready to print my game uh and i was just drag drag and dropping all my cards into um 
uh, letter-sized sheets, you know, and drag and drop, drag and drop, place them all neatly so they fit into an, a three by three grid. Uh, with these icons, uh, with these actions, I could just do one click and do all of them at the same time. Because if you combine actions with something called batch processing, it's even more powerful. You go into File, Export, and Batch Process, and you can choose to apply an action you have to every single file in a folder on your desktop. So you don't even have to open those files. Photoshop will apply the action to all of these files for you. So again, that's even more useful uh, for the long term. There you okay. go. Right, number one. <laughs> number one. There we go. Number one is the ultimate tip. That's if you uh, if you have a lot of time to learn how to do it and prepare. But once you know how to do it, it's insanely helpful. So some people use, uh, I think, Nandek for that, I think it's called, or uh, other um, softwares. So this is a Photoshop tips and tricks. So obviously, you can do it in other softwares. This is how you do it for Photoshop. And this is using variables. So using variables, you can create a Google Sheet or Excel document with all the information of your cards, of your components, all that stuff. For example, you can have an Excel document with uh, your your monster cards, and you can have the HP, the attack value, the effect, the name, uh, the gold that they give when they die of all these different cards. And then what you can do is create your template in Photoshop, name the layers to know what layers is what. And uh, if you go to image, variables, and define, you can assign a variable to each layer. So let's say I have my my title layer. So it's the text that says this is the this is Grub the the butcher. Um, I can say that this text layer is actually a variable called name. And once I've defined which variables is which layer, I can just uh, link my Excel document or my Google Sheet, sheet <laughs> document uh, to uh, the Photoshop file, and now I can run and export all of them at the same time. So Photoshop will take the information in my Excel. For example, if I go down to my mage uh, character, it will just take it, the name, put it into the, the, the layer I define as a name layer, and we'll do all that for the other variables and then export as a PNG. Um, so this is incredibly useful when you have decks of cards and lots of components. You just prepare the stuff, click export and everything goes into a folder as PSD, as PNG. You can edit text. You can edit uh, the visibility of something if you want to have an icon or not have an icon. Uh, you can edit the pixel content of something. So for example, the artwork of your card, uh, you can have a folder in your desktop with all the different artworks of your card and you can swap the artwork for each card. Um, with that, you have an insane amount of uh, customization to what you can modify. It's basically everything. And once it's set up, if you have to, if you have to make changes, you just change your Excel document, click export again, and you have all your cards ready. I have actually made a tutorial on that on the BGDL group. Uh, if you just search for variables in the uh, in the group, you'll find it. It's all the step details. So if you're interested in that, you can actually go and learn how to do it. 
Awesome. And this is something uh, I started doing in my own projects a while back in it. Yeah, it speeds up the process so incredibly much. Well, awesome. Well, there's our top 10 plus uh, a couple more thrown in there as well. <laughs> and so Nicholas, that, that's excellent. Uh, so give me give me like the two-minute elevator pitch for Megapulse. You mentioned that once or twice here on the show, but I know it's going to Kickstarter soon. Tell me about that one. Yeah, so uh, Megapulse is a futuristic racing game inspired by Wipeout, F-Zero, and Mario Kart, where we can shoot people, place bombs behind you, charge nitro. There's these boosts on the track you're trying to, to take to move faster or repair or charge your nitro. And basically, it's an action racing game. Uh, a bunch of modularity, a bunch of variability. Uh, there's some hand building thrown in there, so you're going to uh, gain upgrade cards to upgrade your hand. Uh, it's a ton of fun, very fast, very adrenaline-filled. So, yeah, it's coming on Kickstarter in uh, two weeks uh, from now, so n- November 9. Awesome. And where can people find out more information if they want to learn more? Mm-hmm. So we have our website. So if you go to uh, com, I'm sure we have the name in the description because it's a French name. Uh, you, you will be able to learn more about the game and subscribe. Uh, and also we have our Facebook group. Just search for Megapulse on Facebook. We ha- are very active in there. We share all our progress, all the, uh, the news. So very exciting if you want to join us. Awesome. Well, Nicholas, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter campaign and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you very much, Gabe. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?